Amen. Thank you, music team. How great his love is for us. Um, today we are continuing our series, Pray, uh, where we've been looking at different uh, prayers in God's Word and how people have prayed to God throughout centuries. Uh, we're looking through prayers of healing, prayers of confession, prayers of intercession, prayers for direction, prayers to have, um, prayers to have a better sense of direction for the path that God leads us on, prayers of thanksgiving. And, and as we walk through all of these prayers, at the core of each of them and all a prayer, at the core of it is a desire to have a relationship with God, to know Him more. So this morning, as we look through these various prayers where people ask to know God more, um, we, we get a glimpse of how much He loves us. We catch a glimpse of how available He is to us as well. And not only that, but how actual, intimately, we can walk with Him. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, turn with me to John chapter 17. We're going to be reading verses 20 to 26. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. And if you don't have a Bible or some digital copy or whatever, you can follow along on the screen behind me there. John 17, starting at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you've given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. A.W. Tozer uh, once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because in our day-to-day -day lives and our, our perspectives and our, our thoughts are usually shaped by the work that we have to do, the, the obligations that we have to take care of, the, the people that we have to take care of as well or look after. And, and rightly so, these are good things to have on our minds. But often these things can take over the time that we spend thinking about who God is. And our lives can feel so rushed, like we don't feel we have the time to, to spend and just sit for a few minutes in God's presence and talk to Him. And at the beginning of this, of this series, I encouraged you all to spend 10 minutes in prayer each day, and I have heard the cry of my people, it's hard. Yes, I know. Um, it can be difficult, especially with our, our busy schedules, with the things that run through our minds, the worries or the stresses. It can be difficult to spend that time, even just 10 minutes, when it feels like our minds are racing and, and it's even just a challenge to acknowledge that God is there with us sometimes. Uh, but I'm going to encourage you to keep spending those 10 minutes every day. Again, it doesn't matter what that looks like in the morning, evening. If you want to split it up, that's fine. Uh, but, but today, as we walk through some of these prayers to know God more, uh, I, I hope you can see the benefit of prayer. I hope you can see not only the tangible benefit in the current day-to-day -day choices and decisions that we have to make, but also in the overarching direction that God is taking us in life. So, 
the passage we just read, uh, Jesus is, is praying for, he, right before this, he was praying for his 12 disciples, and now he's praying for all believers who would come to know him through their message. And, and Jesus is praying for more than just the simple, I want people to believe in me so that they can be saved. And yes, that is at the core of what Jesus is praying here. He's praying for, sal- for their salvation, but for something more too. You kind of catch a glimpse of it here, and he says that he wants us to be as close as he is to the Father with him. He wants our relationship with him to be just as close as he is to the Father. It's about relationship. Jesus says that they may all be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And he says, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Jesus wants to be with us. That's amazing. You know how beautiful that promise is? That a God who is perfect in relationship as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, where, where each part is, is fully known and fully accepted by the other, a relationship that isn't marked by distrust or by selfish gain, but one of complete unity where joy and peace are the marks of the relationship. And it's a it's self-giving relationship done in joy and love. Do you want that type of relationship? Because this is the one that Jesus is offering us, one where we can know God and he knows us fully. There's a great beauty in, in Jesus wanting relationship with us. Because pursuing a relationship with him is the way to true life. Not just to spend eternal life with him, that's the great promise and hope we have in salvation, but in the practical and tangible decisions that we make in our day-to-day lives now. Now, in order to know God, uh, we, we must first take the step of faith, of belief in Jesus. And in the verses right before this passage, Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And as Roman 10 puts it, uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Our relationship with God only begins when we confess faith in him, when we, when we make Jesus our savior. Last week, Pastor Dustin was preaching uh, and walking us through prayers of salvation and how truly simple it is that God has made a way for us to come to him and have a relationship, to begin that relationship. That God sent Jesus in this world to restore the brokenness that we had caused by our wrongdoing and sin. That when we accept Jesus as paid for our sins, that we are made spotless. We also had the blessing to hear uh, and, and witness uh, Kenya Ross's baptism. And we heard from his testimony how he came to know Jesus and how he's putting his faith in him and beginning this relationship. That's where it starts. Putting our faith in him is where it begins. But knowing it has a greater depth of intimacy than just believing. Uh, for instance, it's the difference, I would say, in a relationship that you have between a celebrity and a friend. Um, so, for instance, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm sure that all of you are collectively as a group. We could all come up with a few descriptions of what he's like. Uh, we might be able to say what he sounds like, what he looks like. Um, I'm sure you could find out what his favorite movie is, what his favorite foods are. Um, we, we know things about him, but not in the same way that we know a friend in a relationship, right? You know, you might know Arnold, but he sure doesn't know you. It's not that kind of relationship, right? Knowing has this greater depth of intimacy within it, and that's how the Old Testament authors understood this as well. In Genesis, uh, we read that Adam laid with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant, but 
in some of your translations, the word there is Adam knew his wife Eve, right? Uh, that's the way the original authors described this. The Hebrew word is yada, to know. It doesn't have any other links. It's just a depth of knowledge about someone, right? That knowing someone was more important than just having facts about a person. It was a, a deep connection and intimacy that was so deep that it was a complete self-giving of one to another. Knowing Jesus is different than believing in Jesus, and even Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, had the same understanding when he was praying for his own friends. So um, as, we, as we walk through some of these prayers, I just want to point out a couple key things we can learn from each of them. So in, in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, Paul said that he has been praying that they would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they might know God better. This is how Paul is praying for his friends. And he goes on to say, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Part of what Paul is praying here for his friends is that their eyes would be open to the reality as it is, not as we see it, as God created it, right? For us to understand capital T truth and not to continue believing the little truths that we create in our lives so that our worldviews will stick together. To know that we have hope that is greater than death. To know that we are not left poor, but we're filthy rich because we have all we need in Jesus. And to know that his power rests on us, that we're not left weak and abandoned in this world. These are incredible promises we can trust in if we're willing to let Jesus shape the way we see and nowadays, especially in North America, I would argue that we face the temptation to find all we need in ourselves, to lift our, ourselves up by our own bootstraps, or, or uh, to believe whatever you want to believe is truth. These are kind of our mantras in society. These are virtues in the eyes of this world. And the highest command that we're given is to know thyself. Now, knowing yourself, knowing your own strengths and weaknesses is a good thing in recognizing how God has created us. But if we come to know ourselves apart from who God has created us to be, then we're going to discover our identity and who the eyes of the world sees us through. We're going to be shaped by the world rather than shaped by Christ. You see, the world and what it gets wrong is in thinking that identity is something that you form. It's something that you craft for yourself and shape rather than discover. But God says that you are already his masterpiece, that he's created you for a good purpose, for works that are, are destined that you were created for, an identity that you can discover if you find it in him. So the more we get to know Jesus, the more we discover not only who he's created us to be, but the more we can hold on to his promises that he is enough in every situation that we face, to know and believe and trust that he is enough. The next prayer uh, we'll, we'll look at is just in, in Paul's letter to the Colossians. In chapter 1, verse 9 and, says, and 10, Paul writes, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. There's something important to Paul about growing in our knowledge of who God is, of coming to know him more. 
Now, the believers in Colossae, they face a different challenge than a lot of the other believers. Um, for, for instance, in each of the letters that Paul writes, you can tell that he's addressing some type of issue or problem that the city is dealing with. So, um, in Corinthians, if you read the book of Corinthians, one of the struggles that the church in Corinth was having was a lot of the sexual promiscuity. So their idolatry and their worship involved prostitution and all these different things. Um, and so this is what Paul spoke to in the letters. Um, in, in the Galatians, the book of Galatians, uh, one of the wrestles they're having or challenges is understanding their faith apart from works. So how do they come to salvation without having to earn it? That's what they're wrestling through, and so Paul addresses that in his letter. But for the Colossians, they were facing the challenge of Gnosticism. Uh, it, was, it was a heresy of knowledge where you could earn your salvation by knowing more, by having a greater aspect of knowledge and understanding. And so the people believed that having a faith in Jesus was a good thing, but that was only a start to knowledge, that you could grow in your capacity to understand spiritual things. And if you add that to the Gnostics' uh, passwords and rites and different uh, incantations, they said, then you could gain a secret spiritual knowledge that you could be better than other people because you knew something they didn't, something that could only be found through Gnosticism, right? It was a belief that appealed to the desire within each of us to be special, to be unique, to be better than others, to have something that other people don't. And uh, this is the exact same in our culture. I would argue it's gotten worse with social media, with, with the way that we want to be viewed by others in our society and in our culture. It can be hard to be just normal feeling sometimes without desiring to be special. Because back when I was in elementary, I remember we had, um, we had mandatory attendance for track and field, and I hated it because I sucked at track and field. Um, I, I was not good at running, high jump, discus, javelin, any of those things. We didn't do javelin in elementary, don't worry. Um, but I remember I didn't like it because I never won. I never got a ribbon, and I was never special enough to be someone that could accomplish you know, a ribbon. To me, that was life at that point, so... Uh, but one year, I remember as we were lining up to run, I was never a good runner, um, as we were lining up to run, we started the race, and as we're coming around this one corner, the fastest kid in the class, Ryan, um, he tripped, and the second fastest kid in the class, Kyle, he was more the athlete, he ended up falling too, and everyone else fell behind them except for me. Um, and I still came in second place, but <laughs> <laughs> that didn't matter because I finally won a ribbon. I finally got my second place ribbon. It didn't matter if the other guys were complaining that they fell or whatever. But I was finally someone special enough to have a ribbon. It gave me some sense of worth and identity because I could show to people I'm better than you. I'm second, right? Yeah. It's not really a great way to brag, I realize. But I remember the very next year at the end of track, uh, after we'd gone through all the different after I'd failed through all the events, uh, we got up and as they're handing out these uh, ribbons to all the, the winners, they handed out participation ribbons. And I remember getting my participation ribbon and I'm like, I get a ribbon this year. And I thought for a second, I'm like, well, I'm kind of back to square one now because I'm not special. I don't, everyone's got a ribbon now. I don't, I don't mean anything in the eyes of everyone else because even though it's a participation ribbon, they still have something to show that they're able to do and compete in track and field. Right? I wanted to feel better than others. 
And that's a desire within all of us. We all want to be unique. We all want to be special. We all want to be someone that makes a difference in this world. We all want to feel like we're better than others is a hard, a hard desire to put down at times, too. And this was the temptation that the Colossians faced, was to give in to the belief that we could have status over one another by doing more things, by being better than the average Christian, by knowing more than them. And we can face the same temptation, right? To put our identity in the things that we do rather than who God has created us to be. And so we compare ourselves to others, or at least we compare ourselves to the people that we think we're better than, right? And that gives us somehow a meaning in the eyes of the world or ourselves. But Paul fights against this religion of just knowing more, of understanding more, of being better than others. And so he prays that they would be filled with a greater knowledge of God, a greater understanding of his will, not worldly knowledge that tells us we're special because we can do something, but true knowledge where we see the reality is that we are made in the image of God himself, fully loved, fully accepted, not because of what we can do, but because of who we are made to be through Jesus. Not a worldly knowledge, but a true knowledge. Because God knows us perfectly, and he wants us to know him more. That's why he gave the Israelites the law, so that they could know him more, so that they could see what he sees as important. They could value what God values. The very first psalm says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. At the beginning of Joshua, verse 8 of the first chapter, God encouraged Joshua and said, Never let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do everything written in it. And if you will, then I promise to bring you prosperity and success. God wants us to see the world through his perspective, not through our own perspective and the ways we see this world in comparison to others, in elevating our status above others, not in the way that we think the world works, but in the way that he's created it to be, and to come to a deeper knowledge of God in relationship through that. Like I said, it's hard to lay aside our perspectives, the understandings and ways that we see the world, but when we do, and we allow Jesus to help us see truth, true truth, not just the truths that we make up, this is where we can have life. And life has beauty, it has meaning, it has joy and purpose. So seek God. Know him more through prayer and through his word because these are the ways that God reveals himself to us. This is how we know him. So if you're feeling stuck, if, if you're not sure how to continue to pursue your faith, know that if you spend time getting to know who God is, again, if you spend time reading the words he's written to us and spend time just having a conversation with him in prayer, you will know God better. You will grow in your knowledge and love for him. Remember that a superficial love for God comes from a superficial knowledge of God. I'll say that one more time. I had to repeat that a few times to myself. A superficial love for God comes from a superficial knowledge of God. The more we know God, the more we come to see how good he is, how truly loving and beautiful that is. I found a quote by Frank Sheedy's, an Australian theologian. Uh, he said, it would be a strange God who could be loved better by being known less. Now, love for God is not the same thing as knowledge of God. Love of God is immeasurably more important than knowledge of God 
But if a man loves God knowing a little about him, he should love God more knowing no more about him. We can know God. He's made himself available to us to have relationship. Not only that, not only has he just made this available, but he desires it. He longs for us to come to him in relationship, to share the things on our minds and hearts. Next, we'll, we'll look at uh, Paul, Paul's prayer in his letter to the Philippians. Uh, in chapter 1, these are all at the beginning of a lot of the chapters, um, at verses 9 and 10, Paul writes this, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Uh, now, what, what stuck out to me in this prayer when I was reading through just different prayers of knowledge uh, was that Paul used the word knowledge and a deep insight. Uh, now, insight here is a little bit different than knowledge, and it's more related to like the insight commonly talked about in, in the book of Proverbs. It's a very practical outworking of knowledge, uh, knowing how the world works. So I'll give you a couple examples. Um, in, in Proverbs, it talks about uh, there's a warning of anyone who commits ad- adultery, uh, who sleeps around if they're married. Uh, and if you risk committing adultery, then you risk the wrathful death that their angry spouse could commit against you. Um, or if, if another one is when you are obedient to your parents, you bring joy and peace to your parents, and also your life will then be also more pleasant and peaceable. It's kind of the natural ways the world works. If you plant a crop, you're going to harvest it. If you don't, then you won't. It's a very natural truth and way that God has set the world to be. So in Paul's prayer, he's not just asking for a deeper knowledge of who God is, but also in the ways that he's created this world for us to understand that better. Now, it's not always guaranteed some of these, some of these truths and wisdoms, uh, but again, it's, it's knowing how God set the world in place, the truth which, with which he's created it. And they go hand in hand, right? The more we know about God, the more we know him in intimacy and depth of relationship, the more we understand why he's created the world as it is. The more we can see and understand how to live well within this world. How to live in love as he's created us to. And Paul prays these things for the Philippians so that they would be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, growing in our knowledge of God helps us, um, helps us to make better choices, helps us to understand what is the best in our choices. And I'm not sure if you've noticed, but we have all make choices. We all make decisions, right? All of us have made a hundred decisions and choices getting here this morning. Some of those weren't really thought through. They just happened. But God cares about every one of them. And we can be encouraged by Paul's prayer to know that God helps us in our choices to choose what is best over what is second best. The best in our priorities, the best in our habits, the best in our schedules and rhythms, the best in life. And the beauty of a relationship with God is that he cares to give us guidance in the things that we even consider as mundane. The things that we don't think God is a part of, he's even there too. As a follower of Jesus, it can be hard to see every aspect of our lives as having meaning and importance to God. You know, we might, we might think that the time we spend in prayer, the time we spend in church on a Sunday or with other people praying and reading through Scripture, you know, the big things, that's when God is pleased with us and when God cares most about our choices and our decisions. And it's not that he doesn't, but 
in everything, God can show us guidance and God cares to show us purpose. Cleaning up the dirty dishes for your family matters. How do you treat your waiter or waitress matters. You know, perhaps the task God finds important isn't, isn't the job that you have to do, but it's taking time for that person who wants to come and excitedly tell you about their day. Being a follower of Jesus isn't always about doing those incredible tasks that make us feel good you know, about ourselves because we've made a difference in the world or because we can see that we've made a difference. It's also in picking up our crosses. It's putting one foot in front of the other day after day about spending time with him, talking to him as we would a friend. And as we get to know God more, we know better the way he has called us to live in this world. And in that lifestyle, we can enjoy the fruits of peace and joy that come with being who we were created to be. So as you come to God in prayer, pray for the things on your heart and on your mind. Pray for the direction that you need him in, in the little things and the big, because he is there with us in the midst of everything. Pray to make good decisions. Pray for the help you need to be humble when you're cleaning up after others. Pray for the patience you need to listen to people when they're venting. And as we close, I just want to encourage those of you who, who feel like your faith is lacking. I know it's, it's often easy to feel like our faith isn't going anywhere. Uh, I know it can be easy to feel like Jesus is sometimes distant or he's always felt distant. I just want to encourage you in this. In Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, and I would say that some of you have seen that God is good, but you haven't tasted it. Faith can feel empty at that point, too. And so if you only know that God is good in theory, but you haven't experienced that, ask him. We can come to him with these things, too. Ask that you would be given a greater knowledge of who he is, a greater capacity to understand his love for you. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is eating at the house of a Pharisee. And as he was invited to eat there, this prostitute comes up with a jar of expensive perfume. And as they're eating, she pours it on his feet. And uh, the Pharisees and all the people in the house are kind of getting angry at this point. And so Jesus shares a parable, as he always does. And he, he shares this parable of a man who had lent money to two different people. Uh, and the first the man that he'd lent money to, he'd lent $100 to. And the second man, he lent $100,000 to. And so, because neither of these two men could pay the guy back their debt, the, the man forgave both of the debtors. He forgave all of their debt. And so, after he shared this parable, Jesus asked Peter, and he said, who do you think will love the person more for forgiving their debt? And he's like, well, obviously the person who was forgiven the greater debt. And it, actually, Jesus says this. He says these words. He who has been forgiven little loves little. Now, the point of this isn't to categorize our sins. The point of this parable isn't to pick and choose which of our sins are better or worse than others. Right? Because there's no small sin. We've all been forgiven much. None of us are in that $100 category. Some sin might fall into worse consequences than others, but in the eyes of God, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. All sin is wrongdoing. Any amount of sin that we commit comes at the cost of our very lives. And that's not a small price. So you see that we have all been forgiven a tremendous debt. What Jesus is saying is that the more you understand the debt that you have been forgiven, the more 
you will love him for it. It's not to somehow make our lives worse off so that Jesus can forgive us more or to say, well, I have not much in my life worth forgiving. We all have walked away. And the more we come to know him, the more our lives are filled with the joy, peace, and hope that we can have in him. The greater knowledge we have of Jesus, the greater we realize how good he is and how much he loves us. So if you're feeling like God is distant, uh, like you haven't really tasted that he's good, trust that you can know him more through prayer and through the word. If, if, if we never get to know Jesus, if we never build that relationship through conversation and prayer and through reading his word, then we can know that he's good, but we'll never taste it. We'll never experience it ourselves. So this week, I want to continue to encourage you to spend that 10 minutes in prayer. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult, but be real with him. If it helps, um, have a chair opposite you as you're praying. And if you're not sure how to get started, pretend like Jesus is in, there, in the room there with you and talk to him as you would a friend. But as you pray, ask God that you could know him more, that you could understand his character and his will better each day and that you could know the great length and height and width and depth of his love for you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, in everything, we can trust that you are good. And I thank you that as we understand um, just more of these prayers to know you more and understand more about prayer, we thank you that it's about relationship, that we can know you, that we can talk to you. Father, we thank you that you care to love us so greatly. Father, I pray that for each one of us here, you'd give us a greater capacity to understand the love you have for us, to have a greater capacity to understand who you are and who we are made to be through you. Father, I pray that we would lay aside the identity we find in ourselves and the ways of this world and find who we are in you. But Father, I just pray your blessing over us as we, as we spend time in prayer this week. Help us to know you and meet with you in truth. Pray that you'd help us to lay aside the worries and doubts and struggles on our minds, to give those to you first of all, but to not let them take over our minds when we're speaking with you. Thank you for your great love and goodness to us, Father. You are faithful and you are loving. Amen.